Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So many people are caught up in old beliefs of what the Irish language is about. <laughs> that it's only associated with older people in the west of Ireland, only spoken by people living in the Gaeltacht or by language activists. And this is exactly the myth that I'm talking about. So when people cock their heads sideways and say, Irish language technology, but isn't Irish a dead language? I say, no, it's not. And I tell them about how Irish has jumped onto the social media bandwagon. That Irish speakers are online and are being creative and having fun with their language. That there's been over one million tweets in Irish to date. words and words from Ireland. I'm Dark O'Shea. I'm Garrity McAvoy. And I'm Ola Majekadubi. And our very special guest today is Teresa Lynn. Hey Teresa, welcome. Thanks Derek. For those of you who aren't familiar with her work, Teresa Lynn is a Irish Fulbright Scholar, a DC Research Fellow, mm-hmm. and her area of special expertise is machine translation. Irish language technology. Irish language yeah. technology. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So, um, we had an episode a few months back when we were just getting started in which we looked at Google Translate. We were looking at the pros and the cons and we had an, a, a look around it from just like a user feel like, uh, experience, but we didn't know exactly how it worked. Um, so when we, the one example that we used at the time was um, someone had tweeted on Ra Abu <laughs> and the... Um, and Google Translate had calculated this as being the go on the United Kingdom or hooray for the United <laughs> Kingdom. Uh, but there's obviously, there's an awful lot of moving cogs behind something like a system like Google Translate. And maybe you could tell us more about it. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, so Google Translate is what is known as statistical machine translation. So um, these are data driven systems and they use various techniques like machine learning and deep learning and a lot of people might have heard a lot of the, about these terms in data science recently. Um, basically, uh, you feed the system loads of bilingual data, previously translated data. Mm. So the data is previously translated documents. Okay, yes. examples of these translations. Um, and then it learns patterns. And then it sees a new text and it predicts what that should be based on what it's seen. So the problem with it is that um, these systems, uh, they rely on um, having seen a lot of 
of data, a lot of previously translated text. Yes. But Irish, as we call it, a low resource language, we don't have a lot of digital content that's been previously translated. Okay. And so Google wouldn't have, as much as the rest of us, wouldn't have as much data to train the system with. So mm. that's this is why Google Translate for Irish isn't as good as English, French, English, German, and so on. Those pairs that have been, mm. they're widely used. Um, there's a lot of digital content available, a lot of previously translated text from which the system can predict its new translation. Uh, one example I had found when I was um, looking at research was they were talking about how they see a word, a pair of words together like Air Canada and they realise that's a, when you see them together so often that's actually a company, mm. you can realise that they're talking about an airline as opposed to the air in Canada or Canadian or Canadian oxygen mm-hmm. and how, and this, this, this is the result of very a large, large data amount. Uh, yes, yes it is. So they're known as named entities mm-hmm. um, and there are tools out there that are called named entity recognizers. Um, but also with, uh, especially with neural nets and deep learning, um, if you have enough data, it, it will know that Air Canada, especially if it has uppercase, that this is a proper noun string. So it's a company, it's a name, an organization or whatever. Um, when you don't have, again, if you don't have enough data. Mm-hmm. And it's not informed about this. It'll translate air and it'll translate Canada. And yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah. And you mentioned earlier that um, you feed bilingual um, text into the into Google Translate and that's how you um, develop the system. Is that to say that, like, obviously the majority of translated Irish text will be translated from Irish to English or vice versa. So does that mean that you have probably a better chance of accuracy if you're using English to Irish? Or is there like a three-step or four-step translation if you're looking to translate, say, French into into Irish, does Google Translate first have to kind of translate it into English and then into Irish? Mm. Or? Well, well, ideally, what you would have there is French to Irish bilingual data. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is uh, this is an issue. Yeah. Um, and what would often happen is they'll have a pivot language. So right. have, uh, English into something, uh, or French into English, and then English into Irish. Um, usually Irish English is our only strong pair so I don't, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have too many other options for that and this is actually a really interesting it links to an interesting project we've got going on at the ADAPT Centre called the Interact Project and it's looking at crisis translation in times of crisis for refugees mm-hmm. where you're dealing with languages um, in areas that might have earthquakes or tsunamis uh, languages that don't have enough data so they're under-resourced but if, we need to, if you need to get if the emergency aids or the national the government needs to get messages out quickly in these languages. Mm. Um, they need then to use pivot languages to be able to combine these pairs. Otherwise, wouldn't be represented. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So you, people often think of translation, particularly government translation, as something that's done at a leisurely pace. And you mm. actually think about something like that. Yeah, in a crisis emergency yeah. scenario, you need to do it. And um, there's some messages that you, you can use machine translation for, and that would be reliable. Um, and if it's just information about where to get medical supplies and so on it's really important that these people um can can access this information so this is where machine translation come in yeah. that's fascinating yeah. i know i mean i know it's not the same thing but uh during the it was storm ophelia there was no interpretation for isl on a lot of the kind of concerns and initial reports about what the alerts um and it wasn't until kind of the storm had sort of passed that they decided we should probably get an isl interpreter mm-hmm. and then for the more recent beast from the east we actually did have isl to write up but it is totally important for mm-hmm. people who in crisis situations like that that they have access to the information that the majority of us have yeah uh, Teresa, you were saying in your tedx talk that um 
the plat uh, Twitter, for example, is a big platform for Irish speakers, and that there was at that time in twenty sixteen there was like over one million tweets in Irish. Do you think with the growing platform for Irish speakers on Twitter that Google Translate could possibly have better translation for Irish? Um, possibly. So um, it's actually not Google that does the translations; it's Microsoft. So you'll see that it's like translated by Bing, and um, it's um, so on on Twitter. So were you talking about Twitter in particular? Yeah. yeah. So Twitter uses Bing. They don't use Google Translate. Um, and so Microsoft haven't offered Irish as one of their languages um, for uh, probably a number of reasons. But there are 7,000 languages in the world and they need to choose which ones they offer. So Irish isn't one of them at the moment. Um, what I have heard is <laughs> that... Um, Companies like Microsoft will look to see what online presence is like for a particular language and see if it's warranted putting that effort in. So, for example, um, our Wikipedia requires a lot of growth. All right. Mm -hmm. So our Wikipedia and it's called on Wikipedia for people who don't know. But um, this is a really good resource for Irish digital content, but not enough people are contributing to it. And you can talk about anything. You can write a page on Harry Potter. It doesn't actually matter. But the more data, we, more information we have online in Irish, the more digital presence we have, the more necessary it will appear to these companies. So if Bing were to then offer Irish as um, a translation system, um, we would be able to, number one, have translate from Irish as an, as an option. Um, and then hopefully after a while, had they enough um, text, then they should be able to translate the, the tweets. Now, another thing to remember is translating text, say for its public administration or um, general news articles, is very different from translating the the text on Twitter. So just like I spoke about in, in the TEDx talk, um, you have, just as you would in English, you have, um, we call it noisy text. User-generated content is noisy. So you're going to have um, shortening of words, misspellings and typos and no punctuation, so on and so forth. So that's an additional challenge for a machine translation system. Mm -hmm. So um, it would be very uh, naive of to expect that if Bing did suddenly add Irish, that it would be super duper, you know, in translating tweets because it's difficult. Um, but it would at least delay people's frustration when they see translate from Romanian and translate from Hungarian. <laughs> um, and then, and, I, and the reason behind that actually is, um, number one, they don't have Irish as one of their options. So it has to default to another language. And it doesn't just default to one language. The reason it picks one of these other languages is it's using a, a language identifier. And these language identifiers, um, what they're doing is looking at the string of text, doesn't know what it is, just sees a string of letters. And it'll look at the length of the words, it'll look at the combination of characters. It looks at what we call um, character engrams. So basically, one character is a unigram, two characters together is a bigram. So you could have BH and an F, that's a, a, a trigram. The likelihood of having BHF in any other language is very, very low. So if you said on war two in a tweet, it's probably going to help the language identifier know that, it, that it's Irish. Um, so that's it's a very simplistic method. Um, the shorter your tweet, the less likely it is to have, to be able to guess what the language is. Okay. Yeah, because it's got very little to go off. Mm -hmm. But the more you have in your tweet, the more combinations of characters and strings, the easier it's going to predict mm -hmm. the language. So the 280 characters has been a good thing. <laughs> It'd be better. <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, it's no crack from our end because we love looking at the shortening of words and the phonetic use and people are now spelling out full words because they have room, you know, in oh. Irish. But yeah, I know. But mm. um, from other sides, it's good. 
Tell us more about the history of machine translation. When do you think, when did it start? When was the first kind of good effort at it? Oh, it's testing me. This is back at, I think it was the Cold War in mm. around then, yeah. Um, so around um, like 50s, 60s, was a bit of a, a bit of work done on it and then it went quiet for a, a long time. Um, and if you look back there, we, it was actually rule-based methods. So mm. this is where they would have been using um, dictionaries, what they call them lexicons, and people were encoding grammar rules, mm. which is very, very difficult. And it takes a long time, a lot of people, a lot of expertise in linguistics and computational linguistics, computer science, to actually encode these grammar rules. So it was slow progress. So I think, was it um, Babelfish and Alta Vista? Long mm. time ago, I'm sure my age now, but <laughs> that's um, mm. this is sort of where the public were able to use free yeah. translation online, but they were rule-based systems, SisterNet as well. Um, and then through, um, you know, these data-driven systems and machine learning and so on, then it just took off at a, an, um, a really impressive rate because mm. it's much quicker to build a system. Um, you need less people. Uh, you need less uh, annotated in you know data, um, but the accuracy depending again on the language. So if you have English French, brilliant, yeah. you've loads of data. The accuracy obviously is going to be lower for uh, the low resource languages, um, and this is where uh, there's always push towards using a hybrid system. So you can incorporate the benefits of the data driven system, mm-hmm. and then you can incorporate the linguistic knowledge and combine both. So that's Excellent. the plan in the future for us. Yeah. Are translators' jobs in danger? <laughs> That's what we all want to know. No, um, sadly, like that is that is the perception, mm-hmm. and um, the way we would look at it is say, well, years ago, if you you know if you moved to to use an, a, a chainsaw instead of a, a small saw, you're getting the same job done but quicker, right? Mm-hmm. And you can get more work done. And there is an enormous demand for Irish translation, and we are way behind, and especially at the national level and European. Um, level. So in the European Commission, there's a derogation, which means there's um, a restriction on what needs to be translated into Irish at the moment until we get enough translators skilled up by 2021. Mm. Um, but they will need to use technology to help them. This is just mm. so much to get through. Um, and this is the case for all languages. I mean, we always say poor us with Irish or whatever, yeah. but this is <laughs> this is an international thing. It's just changing the job of the translator, really. Um, we work closely with um, with one of the translators. She's since she's moved to work in the commission now, but she was working in the Department of uh, Arts, Heritage and the Gaeltacht and uh, Culture, Heritage and Gaeltacht is called now. Um, and so we, we developed a system for in-house for them so that it would mm-hmm. help uh, the translators with their work. And what she said she loved about it was um, that nitty gritty repetitiveness of her job was Mm. sort of covered by the MT system, the machine translation Mm. system and she was able to then spend the extra time being a bit more creative and giving some flair to it in the corrections or to the bits that needed the manual touch Mm. and that's what she enjoyed about doing the job so she wasn't seeing it like it was taking away her job, it was actually helping her I'm glad you mentioned that because in Tom Stoppard's play Arcadia there's a bit and they're talking about uh, advanced probability and he compares the invention of the calculator in the de- in development <laughs> of probability studies to the invention of the, the telescope for Galileo rather, rather than actually in replacing the scientist it is basically giving the scientist wings. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Technology uh, changes competitiveness in, in the field and um, especially in industry for translators who are trying to work um, 
as freelancers and they're trying to compete with the costs, you know, and so and so on and so forth. Um, so it has to be dealt with like properly and there's ethical considerations around it. But um, from a point of view of helping us as a nation, it's, it's wonderful. Um, and uh, I don't know, I don't believe that it's going to eliminate the job of translator. I just think it's going to change it. I think perhaps among having worked as a translator, definitely machine translation is would take away all of the like you said about that person who worked with the translator who worked with you. There's so much mundane aspects to it that if you can get rid of or at least speed up that that aspect of it or eradicate it in some way or make it some way easier and then you have more time to focus on the the actual fun parts of translation because translation is really fun. When you get to focus on those bits, it's just it's just going to enhance it so much because it can be so dull. You can spend hours trawling over days, weeks trawling over the placement of a comma. You know, it's just it can be so unbelievably dull and you have meetings and meetings about it and then you sort of lose your drive for it. But if you can focus on the fun parts then maybe it'll improve translation from that perspective also. And do you think with like the growth of technology, it's becoming easier for people who want to learn Irish to learn it online rather than in person? Oh, absolutely. And you can see that um, from the statistics from Duolingo, there's the launch of the Fall Charlina, the, the Irish 101 through DCU recently. Um, the demand, especially overseas, I think most people in Ireland would not actually be aware of it unless you've lived. Like Garadine just said she was working in, in Montana um, and she would have taught Irish there. I lived in Australia, both in Melbourne and Sydney. I was in Cumann Gaelga. And there's a lot of people worldwide who want to learn Irish and like this online facility is fantastic because it means that they don't have to be in Ireland. They don't have to come. I mean, they're welcome to come. It's great. <laughs> Get up to Irish scale for the weekend. That'd be fantastic. But you can make progress at home. Um, another good tool that people can use is... Um, if you're aware of it, the Aber synthesis tool. So in Trinity, there's a it's a, you type in the text and it actually says it for you. So it's a synthesizer, and that's really good for learners overseas who don't know how it should be pronounced. Right, you're going to see B H F U A I R and say, "What is this? How do I get my tongue around this?" And that's what the synthesizer is good for. Um, my pinned tweet is actually a link to Aber because a question I get asked most often is, "How do I pronounce it?" Oh, for and the if, Irish four, and yeah. if I spell it phonetically. If I spell it phonetically using kind of a Kerry, uh, kind of a kanji, they'd say we'll get a lot of people from the north who, you know, politely advise me they don't pronounce it that way up there. And some mm. Galwegians who might also have to take a similar <laughs> view. And I was like, you know what? Do it yeah. yourselves, lads. There's three dialects available on yep. the Aber tool. That's yeah. a great That's fantastic. Thing. Yeah. So for those of you who know me, if you, go, if you Google Aber.ie, it'll present you with a um, with a screen with a, with a box where you can type in some Irish text. You can select whether you want the Guido Irish, the Corcogina Irish, or the Galway Irish, and it will synthesize that for you. You can adjust the speed if, it, if you think it sounds too fast, and then you can be speaking like a pro in no time. <laughs> that sounds perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. Unfortunately, it doesn't have to store in Irish yet. <laughs> A-B-A-I-R, Aber. And there's probably as well maybe less judgment online when you're learning Irish, especially on like social media. Like there's no rules to grammar. Like you can just speak yeah. however. So it's probably easier to learn online than in person. Yeah. Now you it probably you might not learn so much through social media, but you get to practice it and, and try to use it and interact with uh, other speakers. Um, 
that's what I particularly like about it. Now, having said that, I go against my own rules. And if I'm tweeting officially from the DAP Centre, you know, I'll say, mm. Megan, proofread this for me if I got that <laughs> in the right way. But aside from that, um, no, I think it, it is great. Um, and I, effort, it just should be rewarded. I mean, like, it's better than nobody taking part, right? Yeah. It, it's better than uh, nobody um, wanting to get involved for fear that they're not perfect because uh, that's not how we approach French and it's not I'm learning Italian right now and I will sound ridiculous when I'm speaking but I'm going to just keep saying ridiculous things because I'm trying to learn and we should all face learning Irish in the same way just do your best and it gets better right yeah but even we don't approach it when we've talked about it on the show before we don't do that in English I mean if you have a friend and you're learning English who's constantly correcting your English and just being like mean about like you don't need that friend in your life so you know engage with people who are willing to participate with you and like encourage you if you do if you are from a different country or you're just too shy to talk to people in Irish I mean that happens too so um we're all sound on Irish language Twitter. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> no, we are all sound. We are all sound. <laughs> Definitely. We are certainly yeah. are. Go down that road, Derek. <laughs> you know what? Look, yeah, it's, uh, people is people, you know. There's, a, <laughs> it's a, there's always a, a standard deviation and uh, players. <laughs> but, yeah, we are all sound. The, one of the actuals just thinking there about people who might be learning English and who are coming from a different language, and I know this from having a French exchange when I was in school. My French exchange was a lad called Etienne. And he would refer to the premiership as the first ship because he automatically assumed that if he saw a French word in English, he'd translate it. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first <laughs> ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I suppose that's something maybe that uh, that machine translation might have to, uh, might, might struggle with possibly, is loan words. Uh, loan words is a difficult one, yes, yeah. But they're a part of life and they're a big part of English, I suppose. <laughs> While you're trying out that website we just spoke about, which is aber.tcd.ie. We'll be taking a quick break. Hi, I'm Marcus O'Lara. And I'm Taz Callagher. And together, we've made a podcast for people who say they don't have time to listen to podcasts. It's called In the Shower with Taz and Marcus because you're supposed to listen to it when you're in the shower. 15 minutes of your day uninterrupted, you're washing your sexy body, listening to us answer the mysteries of the world. Listeners send in questions that they've always wondered the answer to, but never quite went as far as typing into Google what that mythical question's answer is. Have you ever wondered how much wood a woodchuck would chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Or if there's a correct way to wipe your bum? Or why the hell humans fall in love or kiss? Why do we never see baby pigeons? And loads more. We answer these questions. We expand your mind while you wash your behind. So subscribe now and make sure you tell all your friends. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and they come out on Monday morning at 6am, no later, just in time for your Monday morning shower. And in the meantime, keep keep scrubbing. scrubbing. Teresa, what is code switching? Code switching. It's a linguistic term that refers to how somebody will switch from one language to another. And um, it's quite frequent in speech. Mm-hmm. And a lot of research that was done in the past on code switching was done on transcribed speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's widespread. It doesn't just happen for English and Irish. And mm-hmm. it's not like a polluter of the language or anything like that. It's widespread. It's been gone for a long time. Um, if you go to even if you go to the US, you're going to find a lot of code switching um, from English to Spanish. Perfectly normal. Um, 
traditionally was frowned upon as, um, especially for children, um, that it was nearly an indication of uh, an inability or a lack of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and studies have since thankfully proven not to be so. In fact, it suggests that it, it marks intelligence because you need to be smart to be able to know where to fit, to mm-hmm. switch the word, what part of the sentence to switch it, where it, it would still sound okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it happens everywhere for, for various reasons. And um, I'm Kevin Scannell and I are actually doing some research at the moment on code switching in Irish tweets, oh. which I find very fascinating. And um, so the the idea of like this online content, especially on Twitter, uh, it's not like your traditional written content, your traditional text that we would have worked on in the past. Um, it's it's more reflective of spoken language. Right, because it's informal, like you were saying earlier on, it's informal, um, anything goes sort of thing. And um, thankfully, people feel comfortable and free to code switch if they need to. Sometimes it's for a dramatical effect. Mm-hmm. Um, some words, they might be a bit more punchier in English or something like that. And you'll throw it into an Irish one or maybe it's a Hiberno English thing you want to throw in because mm-hmm. you, you get it because you're Irish. Um um, but when we were doing research on this, it was so it was so cool, so interesting. I came across this thesis that was just published last year. Um, this girl had done work on. Uh, she was looking at medieval Irish uh, manuscripts and uh, how the monks were code switching between Latin and uh, medieval Irish. Wow. Isn't that so cool? Yeah, yeah. And this isn't just their little notes on the side. They were actually switching in between. And so it's been going on for so long. It's just a thing. It's, it's a natural thing of language. Um, Obviously, in uh, well-written text or in official text like news articles and um, reports and so on, you don't find it and that's fine. But it doesn't mean that it can't, you know, it can't happen in um, in normal everyday language or on online. I think it's lovely. Can you give us an example that you've come across in your research? <laughs> that might be really illustrates it. Um, there was one. I think it's in that paper actually that I had on the minority language Twitter. Uh, freezing idrali talk kiriig dulkankin le le kulin. So, <laughs> so it's, a, it's obviously from a, a GAA supporter and it's saying it's freezing here in Tralee and carry ahead with a with a point. And uh, so Kevin and I were looking at this going, well, why wouldn't you say like Preaktalish and Vukt? So already Preaktalish and Vukt is, mm. it's a long old phrase that just takes away from the punch of the freezing, right? So mm. freezing sounds better. Um, you can also have like neologisms, so like making up new words. So, um, well, ironically, it was Oscar from Pop-Up Gaeltacht Talk tweeted back to me one day when I was talking about code switching. He said, code mix all. So you know, <laughs> like, so this type of thing, you can make up these words, and I find that fun because often, because um, I'm not a native speaker, I don't have the word. So, um, like, we'll you can just throw in an English word there and add a for the il, and you're going to mm. have the um, the uh, gerund or the verbal noun, and mm. voila, carry on. Like rather than stopping your conversation and saying what's the word for blah, and then moving along, you, you're going to mm. get it. And maybe at the end, the person speaking to you might say, oh, by the way, that's the word is this. Mm. I think all you were saying that you were like mess oil at school. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Well, school slang, like that was a big one, like mess all. Yeah, all these words, they're just not right. Yeah. <laughs> There's and, something lovely about that, right? Yeah. And dreariously. Yeah. Dreariously is my favourite. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, do you have a favourite Irish word? Um, I really like sketchamini. 
Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, um, do you have any interesting projects coming down the line that you'd like our listeners to know about? Um, well, the code mixing one is the interesting one. Um, doing a lot of work on improving machine translation. So mm-hmm. um, we're doing that for the Department of Culture, Heritage and the Gale Talks. Yes. So that's to prove it at the national level in public administration across all of Ireland. Um, so we're trying to, in order to do that, as I've explained already, we need le- loads and loads of bilingual data. So we're going out to various county councils and um, government departments, universities and so on. So it's all public administration data. Yeah. Um, it has been paid for by the tax person and unless there's private and consta- confidential information on it, then we should be able to get it off the but it's just a big effort to try and coordinate that. So if anyone's listening, we might come knocking on your door, please (laughs) (laughs) be friendly. Uh, It's all going to go towards a good cause. And the more we have, the better the systems are going to be. How can people with such with such content get in touch with you? Um, you can Google Teresa Lynn DCU. You can find me um, through the ADAPT website, adaptcentre.ie. Um, my website address, I can't remember, so <laughs> <laughs> something like computing.dcu.ie forward slash Teresa. Okay, oh, I can put it in the end notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so mostly, or even on Twitter. So Kigilt is my Twitter handle, C-I-G-I-L-T. And uh, yeah, people can let us know. But um, that's going to be the next push over the next two years to try and do that. And hopefully then people in public administration will have a system that they can use and they don't accidentally go to Google Translate and get something that hasn't been hasn't been trained on the right data. This is the other thing. It needs to be trained in the right domain, the right type of text. So um, that's that's a really interesting project, I think, that we have got going on here. I look forward to finding out more about it. Great. Nice. So I want to thank our guest, uh, Teresa Lynn, for coming in today. Thank you very much, sir. And we look forward to hearing more about that. And so in the meantime, it's a slant from me. A slant from me. And a slant from me. Catch you next time. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Mm. What is it? That's a grand pronunciation. Mm, too. Mm, you type them like.